Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. At a conference in Houston, Texas, speaker Marty Ensign, an overseas missionary, told of bringing some foreign pastors to the United States for a big meeting. So she brought over all of these foreign pastors who had never been out of their country, who came from rural backgrounds out in the bush, and they'd never been in in any place like the United States before. And uh, during their free time, these foreign pastors wanted to go shopping. Even though they were in a small town, Marty knew there was a chance someone might have difficulty or get lost. So she gave them her phone number for such an emergency. In less than an hour, the phone rang and the pastor said, I'm lost. Help. Marty said, lay the phone down, go to the street corner, find out the names of the two streets at the corner and come back and tell me and I'll come and get you. In a few minutes, he returned to the phone and reported, I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. You know, that's the reality of being lost, right? I mean, many times when we're lost, we don't, we don't know where we are. We don't, we don't understand the signs around us. We don't get it. And what I want to share with you today is that even though we, and because the, kind, of the, you know, kind of the idea behind being lost many times is you're not aware that you're lost. Or maybe you are aware, but you don't understand the nature of what your lostness is. And today we're going to look at a couple of stories, and we're going to see that in spite of Whatever circumstances lead to our being lost, God is a God who chases, pursues, searches, and looks for you, for you, for me, for all of us. He searches us out, and that's the beauty of the gospel. That's one of the unique qualities of the Christian gospel is the idea that God chases people. Amen. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Let's read it. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. So the hymn here is Jesus. So tax collectors and sinners, and I'll define some of these terms in a minute. But I want you to notice as we read this text, I want you to notice the contrast and and, and the two different groups that are represented. So we have tax collectors and sinners, that's one group, and, and it says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Notice that language. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. And here was their complaint. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, and I love this technique of Jesus, this method of Jesus. Somebody starts to complain, or they start to criticize him, or they start to focus on what he's doing that they think is wrong, and Jesus doesn't react at all. His response is just so wise. He, he stops and says, let me tell you a story. And in that story, he addresses their criticism. So he told them this parable. Verse 4, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And then he goes right into the next story. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Aren't those great stories? So let's, let's break this down a little bit, and I'm going to start out with a couple of background ideas or background points to set the context, to set the stage for what's taking place here. The first thing is we see two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners. And if you know anything about that culture, a tax collector was considered to be the ultimate sinner because they were Jewish men who had rejected their loyalty to, to, to Israel and to Judaism and had become agents of the Roman Empire. And they not only collected taxes from people who were under military rule, but they also collected more than they should to get kickbacks. So people hated them. And they were considered the most outcast of the outcast. Maybe the only group that would be more outcast would be lepers. So these are the tax collectors. And then sinners. And that word means like really bad sinners. That Greek word means terrible people, bad people, people doing the bad stuff, okay? And then you had the Pharisees and the scribes, and they complained. Now, now the tax collectors and sinners, they loved to come to listen to Jesus, and they liked to hear him because he was approachable, and he spoke in ways that people wanted to listen. He told stories. He, he used common vernacular. He was approachable, and he could relate. He was relatable. And these Pharisees and scribes, they complained because Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners, he had a way of making people feel welcome unless they made it their job to determine who was worthy to be welcome. The Pharisees and the scribes believed that being around bad people and sinners would rub off on them and defile them. They believed that being, un, being made unclean by sinners would make them unacceptable to God. In fact, in, a, in an old rabbinic saying that came shortly after this time, uh, it, it, this was what the rabbis wrote. They said, let not a man associate with the wicked, not even bring him to the law of God's word. So that was their viewpoint. So their idea was, you know, if you get up too close to people, if you get up so next to somebody that's a sinner and you kind of rub up next too close to them, you're going you're gonna to get their sin on you and then you're not going to be able to go into God's presence and you, you're going to be rejected by God. That's what they had come up with in their own minds. And it's interesting because these people are the ones who are offended. They're angry. By the way, I'm not saying you're a sinner, but I am. So I might have just got off on you. Anyway, so nothing against you, Kayla. I just want you to know you're a blessing. Okay, so that's what we got going on here. We have two groups of people. And the Pharisees, just so you know, the Pharisees were a particular sect of Judaism that prided themselves on their ability to know the the Bible, the commandments, the laws better than anyone else, and keep them. They were very, very strict. And the, the scribes were Jewish lawyers, not lawyers like you and I think, but these were people who were experts in the Mosaic law and who not only copied it painstakingly, every jot and every tittle of it, 
but they also interpreted it to the people. So they were teachers of the law. They broke it down for people and instructed people in the law. So these two groups of people are in front of Jesus, and instead of listening to what he has to say and trying to, to you know, ascertain as to whether he truly was the Messiah, all they could find was fault because Jesus welcomed people, normal people, everyday people. And so to respond, he tells them a couple of stories. And he tells them this parable of the lost sheep. And he, and he says this, he, he implies this in the text that any normal man, any halfway decent shepherd would leave 99 sheep in the open field. By the way, there would have been other shepherds around, so they would have been safe with the other shepherds. But he would leave the 99 sheep in the open field to search for one lost sheep until he found it. So think about that. Think about that language. The first thing is, is this isn't exceptional for humans, much less for God. It's not exceptional to leave 99 and find the one. And if, it's not, if that's not exceptional for humans, how much more so for God? God will always go the extra mile. Amen? See, Jesus makes it clear by his tone that any decent shepherd would do this. God goes far beyond what any human being would do. And then he was willing to risk the 99 to get the one. Yes, they were left with other shepherds, but he felt this personal responsibility to get the one. He was willing to risk the 99 were left in the open field with other shepherds so he could pursue the one that was lost. Searching for lost people may look like a risk to others. Shepherds usually worked for the owner of the sheep and would be responsible to pay for any lost sheep. So he felt the need to do this. He was willing to accept the risk. Thirdly, the sheep is lost in the wilderness somewhere out there, somewhere out there, lost in what we would say the world. If you notice, there is a contrast between the two parables. In the parable of the lost sheep, the sheep is out there, and the, and the word for wilderness means like a desert place, right? So the sheep is out there somewhere in a desert place, but the coin is lost in the house. And we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. The coin is lost in the house, Right? So sometimes people are lost out there, you know, lost in the world with its dangers, its pitfalls, its unknowns, its predators, its addictions, its pain, its suffering, its loss. People are lost out there. And some of you, I want to tell you, you might have family members or friends or coworkers or somebody that you really love, and they're lost out there, and you don't even know if they're alive. I looked up a few years ago, I, um, I was, I, as a teenager, I was homeless, and I was caught up in addictions and all kinds of things. And a, a man and his son, a, his son was a good friend of mine, took me into their apartment. And I lived with him. And in the midst of COVID, I felt like I need to say thank you to this dad for putting me in his house. So I, I searched him out and I found him. And I contacted him and I called him. And I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. And he said, oh, of course I remember you. I said, well, you know, after you took me into your home and helped me and did all those things, I had a a radical conversion to Jesus Christ. God changed my life. And, and I just wanted to tell you that I appreciate so much that you took me in and you believed in me and you helped me and you kept me off the streets. And, and then I said, how's Greg? How's your, how's your son? And I found out that Greg was homeless on the streets of San Diego and he was an addict and he was mentally ill and he hadn't seen him in a long time. That's being lost out there, right? Really lost, really broken, and then you see that this man searched until he found the lost sheep. 
And this is a word that's used also with the lost coin. It's the word until. Until. It means God doesn't quit until he finds. He doesn't give up until he finds. When I was going through these texts, I'm having so much hope because I have some people in my life that I love very much and they need to be found. But Jesus will chase after them, pursue them until he finds them. Amen? Isn't that good news? Don't you give up praying for people. Don't you quit praying for people. He's searching for them until he finds them. Amen. And then when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He's likely carrying the sheep on his shoulders because it was exhausted or injured. Being lost takes a toll on people. And Jesus is tender and compassionate toward his sheep. Can I remind you of something? When people are out there and the world's beating them up, it's rough. It's rough. It's hard. I mean, how many of you know for us, life is hard? And out there, it's real hard. And if you don't have hope, it's even more difficult. You despair even of life. And sometimes we can look at somebody that's out there, lost and broken, and the world's beating them up, and we can kind of get a little bit hard, and we can be like, they made their own bed, they need to sleep in it, these are consequences, they have to live with them, I'm not going to reach out a hand of compassion, they need to suffer, and yet when they begin to make overtures to come toward us, we need to drop that hardness and open our hearts up and be soft and compassionate, and if it means we got to put them on our shoulders and carry them, we should. Sometimes you got to carry people on your shoulders to get them where they belong, to get him back into the house. Amen. And what happens when he finds the sheep? He comes home and he calls everybody together. He gets all of his friends and his family members and they celebrate. He joyfully calls them. And I want to remind you that Jesus is making this connection between the shepherd and God. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, joyfully wants to celebrate when people return to Him. Let me say that again. God is joyfully celebrating our return. Notice I said our return. Because all of us at some time or another either have been lost or maybe will get lost. But He celebrates us. And then he says to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. He doesn't, you know, God's a shared experience God. Is there anybody in this room that's a shared experience person? Do you know what I mean by that? Some people experience something, they kind of keep it to themselves. Some people, they experience something good or, you know, like, like for years I would go overseas and and I would do missions work, and I'd be in the Philippines, or maybe I'd go to Africa, and my wife wouldn't go with me, and I would come home, and I just couldn't shut up, and she had to live with me for weeks after I got home, just telling stories, and I remember at times feeling really kind of disappointed because she wasn't getting it, right, and I'd be like, oh, and then, then this happened, and that happened, we saw this place, and that, and I would, I would be so full because I'm a shared experience person, like, like sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm sure people get tired of talking to me about stuff sometimes. Because it doesn't matter what it is. If it's good food, good drink, good life, relationships, fun, whatever it is, I want to tell other people about it. I just can't shut up. God's a shared experience person. 
right? When, when God gets his people back, he wants everybody to know about it. Isn't that beautiful? He wants to share with us our joy. And then look what he says. He says, Jesus says, then I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous per- people who don't need repentance. Constable's note says this about the 99 righteous. The 99 righteous persons represent the self-righteous Pharisees and lawyers. Jesus was using the term righteous in irony. They were not really righteous, but they considered themselves righteous. The contrast then is between God's joy over one sinner's salvation compared to his sorrow over 99 self-righteous people's lack of salvation. Ooh. I, I just made a note here. Both parables show us the contrast of God's heart versus man-made religion's heart. God is searching for people to bring them home. Religion is avoiding contact with people to keep them out of the house. Heaven rejoices. God celebrates when people come home. Amen. And then he goes to this parable of the lost coin, a precious coin worth searching for. He says, a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one of them. Constable's notes again says this, again, Jesus' concern for women comes out in this illustration with which his female listeners could identify. The silver coins in view would have been Greek drachmas, the equivalent of Roman denarii, each worth about a day's wage. They would have been part, listen to this, they would have been part of a dowry or the savings that some women wore around their heads on a chain when they were married. This was a wedding, it was almost like a wedding ring. They didn't wear it all the time. Its value is clear from the trouble to when she went to found it. See, many women wore a wedding necklace or headband with coins in it. So this is like losing, this is like one of the jewels falling out in your wedding ring and searching everywhere to find it or losing your wedding ring. By the way, you want to hear something real cool, just a quick aside? At the end of the first service, a young woman in the church came up to me and she said, I can't even tell you how this spoke to me today. She said, um, yesterday, I lost one of the jewels in my wedding ring. And I had just said that. And she said, and my husband lost his wallet. And we were really discouraged and frustrated. And she said, and this morning, I, I felt like not even coming to church. And she said, I felt like I was supposed to come and a peace came over me. So I came to church and I heard the message and it was like God saying to me, I know right where you are. I'm after you. I'm seeking for you as well. And she came up to share that with me. And here's what's cool. I inserted that part of the notes kind of in my last time through as I was editing them. So you know what that told me? God loved that woman so much that he searched her out and sought her out and spoke to her exactly where she was at. And the spirit led me and I didn't even know I was being led. And that's what he does with all of us in this room. Amen? He's after you. He's searching for you, seeking for you. So this woman does what? She begins to search. And the first thing she does is light a lamp. Lamps and light always represent truth, revelation, and bringing people out of a state of darkness and deception of mind. God brings light to people and they are found. He searches for them. He reaches for them. He turns the light on in the house. You know, over the years as I've prayed for people that I've been concerned about who are out there, I, I, as I pray for them, I always pray, Lord, send light to them. Send people 
who are people of light, sent people who, who know how to share the right thing and speak their language and meet them right where they are. Lord, everywhere they go, may they run into people who love you, who know you, who understand your ways, so they can't escape the fact that you are chasing them and pursuing them because you love them and want to find them. Amen. He lights a lamp, and then he sweeps the house. And You know, I've found that God will often clean house to reach people. It's really important that this coin was lost in the house. You ever thought about the fact that maybe there are people right in our services who think that going to church is what it means to follow Jesus? Or maybe you've grown up in the church, but you've never really come to know Him. You've never really been found. You just think that showing up is what makes you a Christian, right? And the reality is, is right here in this house, there might be some lost coins. And I want you to know he's sweeping the house looking for you. God is sweeping the house and he's out looking for you. He's lit a lamp and he sweeps the house. He's cleaning things up so he can find us. Sometimes when the Lord is cleaning house, it's because he wants to find lost things. Amen? Think about that in your own life. And then... She searches carefully, and there's that word, until she finds it. Until she finds it. God is searching out for people until he finds them. How many of you know until can take a long time? You ever thought about that? Until. Jesus said, occupy until I come. Well, here we are 2,000 years later. It's still until. Until can take a long time, so keep praying and keep hoping and keep believing. And when she finds it, she does the same thing the shepherd does. She calls her friends and neighbors together. And I love this because in this case, it's in the house. It's like church, right? When someone comes to Christ here, either on a Sunday or in the course of the week, and others tell us about it, what is our response to that? What is our response to people returning to Christ, for people being found? What are we to do when people come to know Jesus Christ? Celebrate. Celebrate. Yeah, three of you believe that. (laughs) Three of you. Celebrate. We celebrate homecomings around here. In the house, together. Yeah. Okay. And then in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one one sinner who repents. That's God's heart. So as I close here, don't worry, it's a little bit longer close than you might think. As I close here, (laughs) nobody was worrying, I'm sure. Here's the big ideas I want you to to go away with today, to leave with today. The first thing is God is represented by a shepherd man and a woman who's lost a coin. Jesus told these stories so that both the men and the women in his audience would be included. Did you know that in that time that was revolutionary? In Roman and in Judaism, in Jewish culture, women were outside the inner circle. They were not included in the conversations about spiritual things. They were not included in what God was doing. 
Jesus is perhaps the most revolutionary figure in history when it comes to his treatment of women. You might not realize this, you can go study it out and look at it, but Roman civilization began to change after Jesus Christ came on the scene in the treatment of women and was lifted through Western civilization because of how Jesus Christ treated and related to women. So Jesus tells two parables, and the parables include a woman in the story. And that would have been like, whoa, what is going on here? Secondly, those who think they are righteous could actually be lost. The 99 righteous were the Pharisees and scribes. You know, something happens to us after we walk with God for a long time. Whether you've been saved out of something really dark or whether you've grown up in the church, if you're not careful, self-righteousness will close over your heart and begin to harden it the longer you're in the church, right? Because you know what we do? We close ourselves off. We develop the Christian ghetto. You ever been in the Christian ghetto? I only listen to Christian music, watch Christian movies, eat Christian food and talk Christianese. You know what that is, right? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. Bless you, brother, bless you, sister. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. See, if we're not careful, we develop around us a life like a bubble to protect us from out there. And without realizing it, we become like the Pharisees who couldn't come up next to sinners or sinful lifestyles because we're afraid of getting it on us, getting dirty. And so what happens to so many Christians is after they walk with God for a while, their language betrays them. If you're not careful, you begin to say things like, them, out there, those people. And without even realizing it, you slip into a superiority of thinking. A a, a way that views yourself as a a little bit higher human, a little bit better human, a little bit higher quality of human. They might be human, but barely. And when you begin to think like that, you have entered over into the spirit of the Pharisee and a disease is in your heart. And if you don't get liberated, if you don't get healed from it, that sickness will poison you and will ultimately put you outside of fellowship with God. Beware of the Pharisee spirit. Beware of self-righteousness. You can say, oh man, instead of amen right there if you want to. That's a tough one, huh? We all have to watch it. Because God, the third thing is God searches for what's valuable to him. Sheep are people here. And silver coins here are people. And silver is representative of redemption. People are worth redeeming worth buying back. What does the word redeem means? It means to buy something back from slavery and repurpose it for holy use. See, that's what God does with every one of us in this room. He buys us back from spiritual slavery to sin and death. He cleans us and washes us and he repurposes us for something that we were actually created for. We become the vessels we were ultimately made for in the beginning. That's good news. Almighty God, 
personally searches for and reaches for people he's made, even people that are lost due to their own sin, and he reaches for them. And I want to tell you, this is unique to the Christian gospel. If you've ever done a comparative religion class or you're in a seeking season in your life where you're knocking on doors and asking questions and you're comparing and you want to know the difference, maybe you've bought the idea that all roads lead to God, that every that all you have is like God's on the top of this mountain and you have all these different ways to get to the top, but all those different religions ultimately are the same. They just have a little bit different packaging, but they're all taking you to God. I want to tell you that is absolutely not true. Every other man-made religion is about human effort to climb the stairs to get to God and to appease Him through good works, to appease Him through enlightenment, to appease Him through meditation, whatever it may be to somehow, and if you don't believe in God, you believe in enlightenment or nirvana or whatever it may be, but the idea is if I will do the right things, if I will get the secret knowledge if I will give enough sacrifices, if I will um, you know, lay down my own, my own thinking here and, and I will climb the ladder of man-made religion and philosophy and ideology, I can attain to either becoming God or meeting God or climb the ladder of enlightenment. And that is absolutely the antithesis and the exact opposite of what the Christian gospel is. The Christian gospel is we are hopeless helpless, lost, without hope in the world, no way to redeem ourselves, no way to climb a ladder to God, and God came to us. He came out of heaven, clothed himself in the flesh of a baby, got down here in our dirt, in our muck, in our mess, in our blood, and took it on himself. And then was crucified in our place to atone for our sin because our sin had broken fellowship with God. And that atonement then reconciled us and God calls us righteous. And then Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. That's the difference. Religion, man-made religion, you got to do it. You got to work. You got to do all these different things to get to God. God's message the gospel. Listen carefully. Things are trying to distract you right now, and you might need to hear this. Listen to me. The gospel is God's after you, chasing you, searching for you, loves you, and is going to get you, and he's not going to quit until, until. All right. I'm excited. Anybody else? And he searches until he finds us, and some people are lost out there in the world, and it's beating them up, but some people are lost in the house, and maybe you're in the house and you feel lost. In fact, let me take you in, down a little bit different road. What if you're saved but lost? What I mean by that is sometimes we can go through times in our life where we feel lost, we feel confused, we feel like we're not in the hands of the God who owns the house. Christians can feel lost sometimes. Sometimes I, I've watched my brothers and sisters and I've experienced myself where they go through the loss of a child or a family member or a spouse or they go through a series of terrible events and they lose their job and they lose hope and they get beat up and they get knocked down. It reminds me of like somebody that's in a fight 
or boxing match and they get their bell rung, they get knocked down and maybe they get up before the count of 10. They get up at nine, but you're disoriented. You don't know where you're at. You, you, have, spiritual, you have a spiritual concussion. And sometimes when people go through that, Christians can be the worst. They're like, you know, just believe, trust, get over it. It's like, no, it's not how it works. They're disoriented. They don't know where they're at. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes we get that way. And here's my message to you. It's not up to you. God is after you because he has you and he's got your hand and he holds on to you. Listen, the gospel is not your ability to hold on to God. It's God's power to hold on to you. And he's going to grab you and hold you. He's going to search for you, seek you out, and find you because you are beloved and valuable to him and you belong to him. You are his. That's good news. He's here for you too. And I'm finishing. God wants us to celebrate when people are found. God's heaven, God's angels, the saints that have gone before. Have you ever thought about this? When the scripture says all of heaven rejoices, it's not just talking about God and angels. All of our spiritual family, God must let them in on what's going on. I mean, surely you don't think heaven has a party and they're all over here and they see everybody celebrating and they're like, God, what's going on? I can't tell you. He lets them in on the celebration. Heaven rejoices. And heaven rejoices over every one of you. Amen? It's one of the greatest miracles. You think raising the dead is a big deal? You think seeing a lame person walk or a blind person see or a deaf person hear is a big deal? It is. You know a bigger deal? Seeing a human soul come alive to God. When that happens, the greatest miracle of all, of all takes place. Amen.